Well, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, you can follow along on the screens as I read from our section of Isaiah this morning on which our sermon is based. Friends, these words are utterly true. They are given to us in love. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes, but what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall not, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious Father, we have entered this place together this morning with our stories we bring here, some full of faith, some full of doubt, worry, and stress. And so, Lord, we ask this morning you would meet us through your word. Remind us of the king who will come. And it's in his grace and his name we do pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Um, well, before we get to the sermon this morning, just a couple of quick December announcements we'll make sure you are aware of. Uh, first one is if you are able at all to serve with our children's ministry or with our welcome team during the month of December, we greatly would appreciate it. We have lots of guests coming through uh, this month. And uh, if you're able at all to serve, it would be extremely helpful to our team. Uh, you can go on our church center app and there's a little button there. that says uh, Advent serve needs. You click on that. You can find opportunities to serve through kids ministry or our welcome team. So I want to make sure you're aware of that. Second announcement, um, as we head into the end of our year, um, I wanted you to be aware of kind of where our financial situation is, our financial needs. Uh, first of all, we um, had some great opportunities this year through spring giving and Thanksgiving, these outward facing funds. We received about $75,000 completely outward focused uh, to various ministries. So it's really great to see all that God did through that. Um, uh, but now as we close our financial year, uh, the calendar year, uh, just now is the time to focus on our budget, finishing strong. Uh, as with most churches, a significant portion of our giving comes in in the month of December. So our monthly budget or monthly amount we're needing is about $800,000 of our $2.5 million budget. And what I hear already is we're off to a great start this month. We've already received a quarter of that. And so thanks already for the ways you've given, but wanted to let you know about that, ways you could be praying and how you could participate 
in your year-end gifts this year. Uh, David will be up next week to kind of give some more logistics uh, and the mechanics of our year-end giving this year. If you are a guest with us today, I am really glad that you're here. Glad you came to be a part of what we're doing here at Orangewood. Uh, we are in a series called A Weary World Rejoices. Uh, we're looking at the book of Isaiah. And maybe you are here this morning and you are experiencing a weary world. Uh, you are not alone. Uh, the poet T.S. Eliot uh, knew this same weariness that you are feeling. Uh, he put it in one of his poems, The Choruses from the Rock, and he wrote this. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where's the life we've lost in living? The lot of man is ceaseless labor or ceaseless idleness, which is still harder, or irregular labor, labor which is not pleasant. Uh, what what T.S. Eliot is getting at us to explore is uh, this beautiful heart-wrenching, heart-examining poem is uh, the weariness we feel, the weariness of Advent. There are those here experiencing the weariness of ceaseless labor. You, you may be here this morning experiencing that. You may be a student who's experienced that. There's, there's so much to keep up with, so many activities in your schedule, school, and then you're also trying to think about college and, and where am I going to go? The, the, the constant demands can feel overwhelming. The pressure feels like it is too much. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you are just struggling to make it for you uh, or your family. You're just struggling to hold on to all the pieces you have to take care of uh, as a, a person in your family. That there's, there's, there's always more laundry that needs to get done. There's, there's more socks that need to get matched. Or you're here this morning and honestly, you've given up on the socks. Uh, you, you, you wash them, you dry them, you throw them in a bin, you figure out. Always more projects at work, trying to be present to your kids who feel like they are growing up faster and faster and faster. There is a sense of always feeling like you're behind. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a divorced parent or a single parent and you feel like you're just working twice as hard to get back to square one. There are others who just appear they are moving along fine. Why not me? Why not me? Maybe that is you this morning, that ceaseless labor. But Elliot says, you think that's hard. <laughs> you think that life's hard. Uh, Elliot says, uh, imagine your life is gripped by ceaseless idleness. Uh, he, he says, uh, there, there are people living life who, who are questioning, what is the purpose? Is there meaning at all to this? You, you, you're going through life uh, trying to make sense of it. What am I doing? Is this it? Maybe you're, you're retired. Maybe your job doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Maybe there is a restlessness in your spirit. There's a, there's a sense of ceaseless idleness that you feel. And, and then there are others, Elliot says, who are experiencing irregular labor. Uh, maybe you're unemployed or underemployed. Maybe, maybe you're here and it feels like you're bouncing from job to job. Maybe COVID for you just wrecked your business industry. And, and you, just, you still just can't get up to, to speed again. Uh, you're, you're putting out resumes, putting out resumes. You hear, apparently, uh, companies are, are hiring uh, now. There's a lot of openings. You hear about this, but why do I keep getting passed over? And you might be saying to yourself right now, you may be in a job saying, Lord, I cannot imagine at this point I'm in this same job this time next year. Lord, Please, please keep me from being in this same seat this time next year with this same job. Maybe that is you this morning. 
But the message of Christianity, the season of Advent, reminds us there is a king who comes to deliver us. T.S. Eliot said, where is the life? Where is the life that we've lost in living? There is a king who comes to deliver us and invites us into a different kind of life this Advent. What he called eternal life. He says that there's a kind of life you can begin to experience now in this life that will go with you into eternity, that that we could step into this kind of life if we choose to and follow this king. How will this king deliver us? That's that's how how will he deliver us? How do we find that kind of life that is worth living? Three things that we see in Isaiah see his source. Recognize his rule, grab his hand. Let's look first at see his source. And, and, and right here at the beginning of Isaiah 11, it tells us this in verse two, Isaiah writes this, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There, there is a source behind this king's power that is coming. Uh, later on in the book of Isaiah, it's going to talk in Isaiah 64 about how uh, God, will, will you rend open? Will you tear open the heavens and come down as king? Will you, will you come down? It says the mountains will quake at his presence. Uh, that's, that's power, my friends. And Isaiah 64 was alluding to a point where the heavens would be open, where we'd see that power come. It, it's actually fulfilled in Mark 1. It says this. And when he, that's Jesus, when Jesus came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. It says the spirit descended on him like we see here in Isaiah 11. There's a, there's a source behind his power and presence. Some, sometimes we don't, we don't see the real source that is behind things. We, we see something, but we don't see the source, the power behind it. I mean, you may have encountered this. We, uh, appliances are wonderful in your life, but if they're not plugged into the source, they are absolutely useless. Uh, uh, this came crashing in onto me um, 10 years ago, I, I applied uh, to go work at a church in Michigan. And you say, how did you do that? That, that, that's, that takes power in itself to go to Michigan. Um, but I, 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 we went up there and um, I came on staff and I, this was a phenomenal church, large church. Couldn't believe I got the job. I was actually starting to feel quite proud of myself and what I had accomplished. But then I joined the staff and they began to tell me a little bit about the backstory behind our interview process. Uh, come to find out that I was actually their second candidate that they were looking at. Um, Apparently he was more experienced. Um, I heard him. He was actually a better preacher than I was. Um, uh, You could have said, no, that's no, that can't be, but you were quiet. It's okay. Um, he was a better preacher than I I was. And, but we, I found out what was going on. They said to me, Tyler, we really liked you, but we loved Rachel. <laughs> we loved her. And, and you know, it, it, you, you, you have to go through that instance only one time to, to learn, right? So when I began to interview here at Orangewood, who did they hear about first? <laughs> did, did you know about Rachel? There is a source. 
Isaiah tells us there is a king who's coming to deliver and the source of his power and his life. He will be led by the spirit. He'll be led by the spirit. But friends, this is the exact opposite of what you will hear in our culture today. Uh, don't be dependent on anyone else. Uh, don't be dependent on any, anyone else. There's this sense in our culture that you, yes, you with the right techniques, you, yes, you with, with the right um, way to solve issues, the right effort, you can solve all your problems. Uh, our culture's motto is self-sufficiency over spirit. Self-sufficiency over spirit. And you and I are invited into this way of life every day. And we see this in much of the modern self-help uh, books. You can do it with enough willpower. You can make it with enough positive thinking. You can do it. Um, this is actually how one recent self-help book starts. Um, I don't mean anything against the author. I'll say that. But it's a book by Rachel Hollis. And this is how the book begins. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. That just sounds exhausting reading it. But every morning, you and I are invited to wake up again. And once our feet hit the floor, we are invited into the self-sufficient life. Achieve, accomplish, produce, gain approval. The ultimately, the one who is responsible for your life is you. I'm the source. Now, Friends, this issue isn't uh, a modern issue, though we see it in our modern world. It's, it's just a from the beginning of time issue. Uh, Dallas Willard, famous author, said the greatest temptation that we experience in life and have always experienced from the devil is that we believe the lie that we must take matters always into our own hands. I'm the source. We must control the outcomes. You, yes, you are ultimately responsible for what you become. That's what Rachel Hollis is telling you. You see, the giant disparity between the life of Jesus, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, given wisdom and understanding, and then the character of Herod in the Christmas story. Herod, Herod was consumed with manifest destiny, with, with enough power, with enough self-sufficiency. I will accomplish everything I want to in my life. And Jesus comes showing us the way to life. It is by the power of surrendering our will to the source, to the spirit, asking for wisdom and insight, asking for what we shared already in our Advent reading, peace, peace, peace. Do you want that? The spirit came to give that to Jesus and the spirit now gives that same peace to us. Uh, I read someone one time was asked, uh, what would be the one word you would use to describe Jesus? If you had one word, just one word, you know, one word, this, this author said, relaxed. It's a word you wouldn't think of, but he was relaxed. He lived in the power of the spirit. And that same life is available to you and me. Question this morning for you. Do you believe that Jesus was the wisest teacher who ever lived? I know many of you would say he is my savior, but do you believe he's the wisest teacher who ever lived? Because how you answer that simple question has profound implications. Uh, in our passage, it tells us uh, there is a king who delivers and has the power of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge. Jesus invites us at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount into this way of life if we're willing to listen to him. 
uh, that, that we, will, we will find a life above the storms and circumstances we face. We will find a, a foundation underneath whatever we may be going through this morning. You may be here, and I don't know if you know this story, but uh, this building uh, right where we are sitting um, ran into some massive issues during construction. Uh, uh, workers come in. They've already started uh, breaking up the ground. Um, they, they're, they're starting to put walls in, but they came in one day and noticed the, the, the walls are off. Something, something's, something horrible is going on. And then they started to get under it. The engineers show up to, to examine what's going on. And they found buried 40, 50 feet underneath, right where you were sitting, a massive sinkhole cavern, right where you're sitting. And the weight and the pounding of the construction had apparently had been shifting this sinkhole and the walls and the construction had to be stopped immediately. Now, the engineers determined the only way to solve this issue was to pour concrete 40, 50 feet down right under where you are into this sinkhole. Um, but you have to understand, this isn't like, oh, we're going to run to Home Depot and grab three or four bags of concrete and we're going to solve this, right? Uh, and it wasn't just a cement truck would solve this issue. Apparently, as I understand the story, there were dozens and dozens of concrete trucks for days and days pumping concrete into this sinkhole cavern. Literally hundreds of thousands of dollars were pumped 50 feet down right where you're sitting. That sinkhole cavern is now cement rock beneath you. I would venture to say you may be sitting in the safest place in all of Central Florida right now. <laughs> all of Central Florida. Do you want that found kind of foundation in your life? No matter what you face, no matter the storm that comes, no matter you know, what's pressing against you, you want that kind of rock. Jesus said it this way. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The same spirit that led Jesus into paths of wisdom is available to you. If you will surrender to Jesus, your self-sufficiency and allow him to be your teacher. But what I know is, is that is incredibly hard to do. Incredibly hard to, to, to hand over your decision-making. Incredibly hard to hand over control, hand over your plans to someone else. That's incredibly difficult and scary, but that leads us to the second thing about how this king will deliver us. We have to recognize his rule. Recognize his rule. What do we notice about Jesus' rule is it's unlike any other. Um, just for one case today, look, look at the Christmas story in the Gospels. Jesus' rule is marked by peace, uh, as it's marked by good news for all people and look at the rule of Herod. He is given into paranoia and fear. Um, he, he, he's killing every member of his family, true story, killing every member of his family, any, any competition at all to his rule, they, they are going to be killed. Uh, we even see it in our Christmas story. He took out the firstborn of Bethlehem. This is what we read in Matthew two. Uh, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. 
What is it about Jesus's rule as king that makes him better? And why can you trust him? Why can you trust him? Well, we see first he doesn't rule like the others. Uh, Look at verse three of Isaiah. It says this. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Uh, Jesus doesn't judge or lead by appearances or externals like every other ruler that you know. He sees the heart. Uh, I read an article recently by an economist named Eva Serminska. Uh, She wrote an article called, Does It Pay to Be Beautiful? Does it pay to be beautiful? What What do you think? Well, Sermiska tells that physically attractive people can earn more than less attractive people. Now, I don't know what her scale was of determining this, but she says that physically attractive workers can earn up to 15% more. And, and she says, we usually think that means women, that it's more about women being physically attractive. But she said, no, not in the data. According, if men are more physically attractive, they get further higher, better promotions, better salaries, but they, she did say, but there is an even greater predictor of success. She says, your height, your height will determine your level of success. Uh, USA Today surveyed a panel of CEOs and retired CEOs, and 95% of them said, given the choice, given the choice, they would rather be bald over short. More telling is that 31 of these CEOs who identified themselves as bald or, quote, headed in that direction unquote, <laughs> said it is better to be vertically challenged or it's better, it's better to be bald than to be vertically challenged because they saw it as an indictment of their aspirations of their executive career. Bald or quote, headed in that direction. Do you know what that meant? Headed in that direction. Okay. <laughs> You're all looking at me for some reason. I don't know what this is. <laughs> but this is the problem with our culture. We only value and praise externals. We live in a culture in the modern rest surrounded and consumed by this beauty effect, as Sir Miska put it. Uh, I mean, one little small instance I saw this past week on my newsfeed. There was, a, there was an article that popped up from a plastic surgeon. This, this plastic surgeon is, is uh, looking at all these celebrities and naming all the things that they've gotten work done, even though these celebrities said they never got this work done. But this plastic surgeon, this expert saying, oh, look at this picture and then look at this picture. And I'll tell you exactly. And I didn't even know all the names of these apparent surgeries you can get. So uh, they're out there. But the reality is, friends, there is not enough spinach, Botox, facelifts, tummy tucks, and Pilates to change the inevitable. Uh, I think it was last week or the week before, I was laying with Caleb, our youngest son, uh, on our couch watching a movie together. And it was just one of those great moments. We're laying together, and he's laying you know, on top of me. And then he, he gets up, he leans up, and he pats me on the stomach. And he says, uh, Daddy, I love your big belly. <laughs> it, it was incredibly sweet and innocent. But I popped him. <laughs> popped him. Now, I did not, in case there's someone in the room. I'm going to get an email for that. No. I didn't do it, but I wanted to. 
wanted to. It is inevitable that which comes for all of us. Do you know why we need deliverance? Because we live in a world where we feel like we never, ever measure up. There's always someone more successful, better looking, more networked. They, they keep seeming to move further, faster, unbelievably than I am. And the world just seems to not care an ounce about their character. It, it, almost, it feels like the deck is stacked against you. And everyone else, all they care about is how you look, how you produce. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He won't rule like the others will in power. He won't marginalize or oppress you. He won't tell you to keep up. But rather, he says to you right now, if you're willing to hear it, he loves you. Right where you are. Right with the middle of what you're going through. He sees you just as you are. Uh, can I be honest this morning? That's usually what a preacher says before they're about to say something that gets them in trouble. Uh, most of the kids are now in the other room. Uh, it's Christmas season, and I want to be honest. Little kids may be some of the most ungrateful human beings on the planet. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, right now, all that you're doing, stressing yourself out, buying gifts, thinking about what you may get them, and, and uh, there's no thanks. There's no love. There's no, there's, there's no gratitude, daddy. Thanks for all you do. Mommy, thanks for all you do. And you may be tempted in those moments, at least I am, to say, does anyone see me? Does anyone see me? Friends, Jesus does. He sees you. He knows you. And he won't rule like others will. He sees the heart. But also recognize how he rules his rule. He knows the truth. Oh, look at verse four and five. He says this in Isaiah. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Jesus knows the truth. He will set all things right in this world. He will wipe away every tear. Those overlooked, those beat up or beat down. He will set all things right. Uh, N.T. Wright is a brilliant New Testament scholar, and um, he wrote a book one time called Simply Christian. And if you're not a Christian, it's really written for you. It's a great book. I encourage you uh, to check it out. But he begins the book with a chapter called Putting the World to Rights. Putting the World to Rights. Why, why? You begin to think, why would he start his book on Christianity beginning in that place? It's because we can all look at the pain and brokenness of this world, and we've all experienced it. Uh, that, that there are kids that will die today from the sheer just lack of clean drinking water. That, that, that there, there are people who, who are walking free on the streets of our country who have committed heinous crimes, and they'll never be convicted. That, that, that there, are, there are people right now in jail who are completely innocent, but they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That we've all experienced the pain and suffering of this world. And, and Wright says there, there is a king who will come to deliver and he knows the truth. He rules with righteousness and he will set all things right in this broken world. Wright says this, and this is what Christianity has to offer you. Uh, if you would say you're not a Christian today, listen to him. From the very beginning, 2000 years ago, the followers of Jesus have always maintained 
that he took the tears of the world and made them his own, carrying them all the way to his cruel and unjust death on the cross. And that he took the joy of the world and brought it to new birth as he rose from the death and thereby launched God's new creation. The Christian faith endorses the passion for justice, which every being knows, the longing to see things put to rights. Christianity claims that in Jesus, God himself has shared this passion and put it into effect so that in the end, all tears may be dried and the world may be filled with justice and joy. Man, I want that justice and joy. Do you want that kind of deliverance where, where all wrongs are made right, where, where all brokenness is restored, where, where this world filled maybe someday with justice, joy, and peace. That's, that's the world Jesus has started to bring through his death and resurrection. And you and I are invited in. He knows the truth and he's putting the world to rights. Uh, finally, about his rule, notice he provides the shelter. Look at, look at verse nine. It says this, uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, I mean, this is the fascinating and most interesting piece of the Advent story we're celebrating today. It's, it's that word peace. We long for it. But it's fascinating to us because uh, in the mid-1950s, mid-1900s, there was this belief that one day peace would be attainable for you and me uh, with enough uh, psychological uh, advancements, scientific developments. uh, We would live one day in a world where we didn't need God, Uh, that that peace would already have been here by 2021, almost 2022. Uh, One of the best voices uh, to this world, best scholars, if I can call them that, to this world, uh, was the great John Lennon, who put it in song called Imagine. He said this, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to imagine all the people living life in peace living life in peace. Now, this anthem carries with it and is laced with tragic irony. If you know the story of Lenin, that he was assassinated in 1980. Peace eludes, peace escapes. How can we find the life that is worth living? As T.S. Eliot put it, Isaiah tells us to recognize his rule. He provides the shelter But notice Jesus doesn't just provide peace from our obstacles. No, 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 that's not the story. Jesus provides peace in the obstacles of life, in the divorce, in the financial uncertainty, in the diagnosis, in the singleness, in the frustrations, in the endless Christmas shopping, whatever it is for you this morning, he provides the peace. That's really behind the song that we sang right before the sermon. Uh, One of my favorite lines, I love this line. He says, in the song, he says, Peace, be still. God, you are here. You're here. So it is well. It is well. No matter the circumstances you're facing, no matter the disappointments, no matter the, the sheer heartaches of life you are experiencing this morning, no matter how you have been wronged or hurt, right in the middle of it all. Peace. Peace. I mean, look at the story of Mary and Joseph 
in the Christmas story. I mean, uh, this is not a story of peace from our circumstances. This is a story of peace right in the middle of the chaos. I mean, Joseph is not sipping Mai Tais in Hawaii at Christmas. What's Joseph doing? He's journeying to Bethlehem with, a, with his new wife, who apparently, apparently is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Apparently. I mean, the, 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 the people were talking. I mean, Joseph's dealing with shame and mockery and ridicule by everyone around him. They're all saying, how is he still with her? I mean, this would have been unthinkable in the first century for a man like Joseph to stay with a woman like Mary, but right in the middle of the uncertainty, right in the middle of the shaming, ridicule, and mockery, peace, peace. Jesus provides the shelter. Many of you are aware of Psalm 23. It's very well known, but maybe hear it again this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. Friends, here's the good news. Right in the middle of the valley you are facing, you are safe. You are secure. There is a shelter because he is with you. He is with you. I mean, that's the story of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you wherever you are facing, wherever you have lost life in the living. There is a king who comes to deliver you. Do you want that kind of life this Advent? How does he deliver us? What do we need to do to get that kind of life, that kind of peace? Well, that's the last thing we have to see. Grab his hand. Grab his hand. Uh, Look at the very end of our passage. Um, verse 11. This is what we read. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Uh, what, what do we need to see about this hand that offers deliverance again to you this Advent? First, notice his grace. Notice his grace. Our passage tells us he will extend his hand a second time. A second time. He he tells us about these people that have become trapped in other countries. They're in exile. uh, Trapped by their decisions. Enslaved because they've put their trust in other things and other people to make them happy. But they could never deliver them. Disappointed because they were stuck in some place, stuck in Assyria, stuck in Cush, stuck in Shinar. But notice his grace. Notice his grace. This king who delivers doesn't turn his back on you, but he comes again and again and again, offering this hand to you once again this Advent. And he's reaching out for you again this morning in love. Oh, Richard Sibbs was a, a Puritan uh, author, and he, he has one of the best lines. And I hope this speaks to someone this morning. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Notice his grace. Uh, second, notice his power. Uh, you may not be aware of this, but the first piece is the scope of his power. This, this verse here, Isaiah names several countries, Cush, Shinar, others. 
uh, what commentators tell us is that this was the, was all the known world. Everything that was named in that passage is all the known world um, at this time. And what Isaiah is telling us is there is a king who delivers and he can reach into any situation of darkness in your life. Uh, every circumstance of disappointment, he can rescue you from any place. There's no place where it is off limits to which he can deliver. There's no country that you have ventured into that is too far gone for him to grab you. There is no situation to which he can't deliver you. But first, you notice his piece of his power, this piece of his power, the scope. But then there's also the skill of his power. There's the, the scope. It, it's pervasive. He can reach anywhere. But, but notice the skill of his power. You see, uh, this, these countries that are named Assyria and Egypt at this time are, are some of the most powerful, dominant forces in all the known world this time. It's, it, 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 they were the ones in power. It, it, uh, who gets delivered from Assyria? Uh, who gets busted out of Egypt? The answer was nobody. Uh, if you ventured into those countries, you're gone. Nobody's going to find you. The, the answer was, who, who gets out of those places? Nobody. But there is a king coming this Christmas who will deliver you from the most difficult, most broken, most defeating of places in your life if you will just simply grab his hand. Just grab his hand. You may be here this morning in one of those places. Uh, there could be an addiction in your life that you just cannot seem to break. There is a relationship maybe in your life that just seems to be falling apart. There, there could be something going on in your life and you just feel like you are in Egypt. I'm in Egypt and I'm never getting out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm overwhelmed. I'm in bondage. And sometimes those places, those countries you may have ventured into feel like the most lonely of places you could ever possibly imagine. And in the midst of that loneliness, when you feel absolutely all along, here comes Christmas. Be happy. Notice the lights. Enjoy the eggnog. But there is a king who has come to deliver you no matter how bleak the circumstances look, no matter how lonely you feel. Do you see that power this morning that is available to you? Do you want that kind of power to bust you out this Advent? Well, finally, notice his reach. How does Jesus deliver? We, we see in this past, how does Jesus deliver us? Well, what we see is he, he doesn't pluck you out. What we see is that he won't come rescue you out if you don't want it. I mean, if you, if you want to stay in Cush or Shinar or Pathros, if you want to stay in Egypt, whatever country you ventured into, uh, Jesus will allow you to stay there if you want to this Advent. But have you found what you're looking for in that country? Wherever you've ventured off to, are you happy? Have you... Or do you feel like T.S. Eliot, there is a life we have lost in the living. But what does Jesus do for you this Advent? The king who delivers extends his hand to you from Isaiah. No matter where you've been, no matter where you have gone and where you have put your trust, Jesus invites you into a way out if you will simply reach out his hand and grab him this Advent. Uh, I read a story about Danny. Uh, Danny uh, is one of those personalities, you know them in your life, um, where they're never satisfied about anything. 
Um, so because of that, they always have the best experiences. Uh, you always want them at, at your party because they're going to share these amazing stories. Um, Danny has made homemade planes and flown them over Alaska. Uh, Danny has, he, he hang glides. Uh, Danny hangs on the side of mountains, uh, not knowing where those ropes are connected to anything above him. Uh, that's just who Danny is. And Danny uh, was spelunking in a cave. I don't know if you know, but it's basically cave adventures. And um, uh, Danny had a friend who told him, hey, there is this cave uh, with a very narrow path. But if, if, if you get through the narrow path inside there, there is an inner chamber with a pool, a pool of great beauty inside there, if you can get through. And, and Danny, of course, being Danny, said, yeah, I'm in. When? Where? What time? And so he and this friend, they, they venture into this cave, and they venture down that very narrow tunnel, and the, the tunnel begins to, to shrink. Danny begins to, to crouch as the tunnel. This is pitch black, pitch black cave. Uh, Tunnel was getting uh, smaller and, and smaller. Dan- Danny eventually gets on his knees. He has to crawl. Uh, the tunnel keeps getting tighter and more restrictive uh, to the point that Danny has to literally lay on his back. I'm, I'm, my hands are sweating telling the story. Anybody else? Uh, it's, it's a cave. It's pitch dark. You, you can't see a thing. It, 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 he's literally laying on his back and he has to exhale a breath to scoot just a few more inches. And you take his breath, exhale, and scoot a few more inches. Why would Danny do this? Because there is something wrong with Danny. (laughs) I don't know why Danny would do this. But I know how. You see, as Danny is... (laughs) on his back, wondering, what am I doing here? There is a voice. There is a hand. There is a friend who was saying to him, Danny, don't think about the dark. Um, Don't think about the cave. Don't think about the fear. Uh, Don't think about that defeating voice inside of your head. Don't think about any of that. Just listen for my voice. Just grab my hand and we'll get out of here. And they did. They did. Friends, there's a king who has come to deliver you. Listen to his voice, grab his hand, and he will lead you out to life. And he will lead you out as hard as it possibly is to imagine to peace. Let's pray. Our father, we are amazed at the depths that you would go to be near to us this Christmas in your son. To remind us again this morning, no matter what we have gone through, no matter what we carry into this place, there is one who has come to deliver us. One who has come to offer us peace, despite the circumstances, despite what pressure we're under. Right in the middle of it all, there is peace. If we were to hear his voice, we will receive his hand, 
He will deliver us. And that is good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.